Welcome. I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show where I talk with people about the choices they make and how they get to where they are in life now. In this episode, I'm talking with Veronica Taylor Black. Veronica and I met years ago while shooting an episode of a TV show called Mad Men. You may have heard of it. Veronica has been an actor and a model since she was a child. Sliding behind the camera, she made a natural transition to work as a stylist and start her own company. We have a great conversation ranging from motherhood to business. You won't want to miss this one. Links for Veronica and timestamps for everything that came up while we talked are in the show notes. Please support the show by leaving a comment or review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And check out our affiliate links in case there's something interesting you might find valuable. Enjoy our conversation. Veronica, welcome. So I just want to like jump in real deep since I feel like I feel like I know you better than I actually probably do. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, and I we talked a little bit about this, you know, prior to hitting record, but what's that moment? Um, you know, and it, it could be when you were four years old or it could have been like, you know, two years ago that you just realized that you were in your body living this life and the choices you were making actually impacted everything around you and, and where you were going? Um, I think the easiest answer that I know off the top of my head is when I was pregnant. Like when we decided to become pregnant and made that choice, it's not about you anymore in the most special way. Mm. And then being pregnant and at the point that I got pregnant, I was at a full-time job as a fashion director at a company. And it was amazing because my days were filled with creativity and teamwork and all these things. And I had this wonderful group of people around me, especially women that were like rooting me on. And it was so wonderful because wow. I was literally, you know, you're growing a baby and it is the most insane alien thing that can happen to you. But to have people that are really interested and supportive of that every day at work was a really phenomenal, it was a phenomenal time in my life, I do have to yeah. say. That but that's when amazing. I really felt in my own body because I had to, you know, yeah. I had to actually start caring about what went in it. So, I mean, that's that's a perfect segue into then what exactly changed? So you said the first kind of major thing is you have this, alien life form <laughs> growing inside you. And so what goes into your body became a top priority. What did that, how was that different? And what did that look like? I don't want to say that it was too much different. It actually gave me more freedom in myself. I mean, I've been modeling for over 20 years as a child actor. Um, I've always really cared about what I look like because in the modeling world, it's obviously very important, but I treated it like I was an athlete. Mm -hmm. Not so much like, you know, I thank goodness, no eating disorders, no like situations with food. I probably love food way too much. <laughs> yeah, but no, but I, oh God. So, okay. So that in and of itself, what you said, you thought of yourself more as an athlete, I think yeah. is that sounds so healthy to me. Like I did a little bit of modeling when I was in high school, some runway stuff and print, you know, whatever. And like, I wasn't really tall enough um, to, because for, for guys, I don't know what it's like for, for ladies, but for guys, you have to be over six feet 
to yeah. even be considered. And then maybe you do some print work if you're not. And I wasn't. So, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that mentality, instead of, instead of, yes, it's all about me, my looks and what people think of me. Um, it's about how I perform. I think that's such an amazing, empowering thing. Is that something that you came on your own or did, did you have a mentor or did someone? I think my mom said it to me one day. She was just like, you know, you're going to go through puberty, which I was at 15, 14, 15 when I started. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you have to treat this as a job. If you want it to be your job, you know, she yeah. gave me the option and I really did love it. And I really wanted it to be my job. And so I did start taking care of myself a little mm -hmm. bit more, still a teenager. I was still, you know, cheeseburgers and yeah. beer on the weekend. <laughs> um, but I thought about it when you show up to set and you're ready to go and you have the energy and the physique and everything that they're looking for, that's mm -hmm. why you get hired back. And the attitude, yeah. the attitude was yeah. a big one for me. That was, you know, when I was a teenager, I acted like a teenager sometimes. And then when you get into your twenties and you're like, okay, got to cut the crap time to show up and be really professional. 15 minutes early is on time, period. You smile through it. If you don't like it, who cares? You know, it's not going to be, unless it's going to be a billboard and then you might be like, I care a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are going to see this. Like, yeah, how many people are seeing this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for most of my work, you know, it's not the glamorous side, it's e-commerce, which means that you're wearing 80 different outfits a day and your job is to change quickly and efficiently and get out there. You 80 outfits in one day? Oh yeah. Oh, it's like a, it's like a little factory and you just wow. like turn them out and you need to, it's this, I call it a song and dance um, in the sense that there's choreography to it. Yeah. In Japan, when you work there, your mm -hmm. agency will give you a tape, which I'm so old, they gave me a VHS. And there's a girl on there that shows you like a hundred different poses and they expect you to memorize it because when you go to castings in Japan, you have to go in front of the client and do those hundred poses and you need to be able to do them with under in under like a minute, right? Wow. So I think that was really great training for me. <laughs> yeah, I'd say Cause so. Because when, when e-com came around, because this was even prior to e-com, when e-com finally came around and you did need to do the 80 outfits a day, we don't have time to have a model on set that doesn't know how to move. Yeah. And doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. I so when I played around in high school, like I definitely got a sense that there were different things like, you know, different positions. You kind of want to turn your head and look this way, turn this way. There, there was like some sort of roboticness to it. Like, but I, you know, I was such on the bottom end, like, you know, entry level and, you know, didn't yeah. have the height and everything else. So like no one, no one really cared that much because, you know, I was working for peanuts and, you know, it was small change <laughs> stuff, but yeah. Um, and I've seen since then, I've seen like the pros, I've seen like a behind the scenes of a video of someone posing and they hit, they hit those things so fast. And the, the I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Okay. That's like yeah. next level shit. <laughs> There's no time to think. I think yeah. you, I, I always call it, you know, uh, auto drive. What is the word I'm looking for? Auto autonomous, uh, Autonomy. automatic. Automatic, um, yeah, I, I just like go into that there. zone and just like 
you know, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like I said, the song and the dance. And I always think it's a really great compliment. Photographers are like, oh, you know what you're doing. You can move really well. You should like show the younger girls. And I think that's a really nice position to be in because yeah. you can kind of mentor on set if there's somebody that's a little bit younger and talk them through it. And I always love talking to the parents when they have questions because I've been be through important. all of it. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like the, the parents probably are the ones that need more help than, you know, the, the kids because the kids yeah. are just going with it where the yeah. parents are like freaking, freaking out. out. <laughs> Again, what we were talking about prior is overthinking it. And it's like a day by day situation. Like some parents I meet are very much like, well, do you think they'll get to this place and this place? And I'm like, take a moment. <laughs> inhale exhale and it's like it depends on how much they want to work it's a job and I make sure people understand that part it is a job capital j-o-b and especially if you're just starting out or going to only stay in the la market and things like that there's not a lot of glamour in it until you get to a very 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 high up place yeah like you know it's like one out of every hundred million becomes a supermodel that's not a correct statistic well, but that's I mean basically what it is since I, so I remember, um, this is a little bit off topic. We'll, we'll just, we'll just go here for a second. In 1998, George Clooney was put on Esquire magazine. It sold more copies and basically was my understanding was basically the death of the supermodel because models were no longer, you know, cover models. I mean, some were, but it was less and less because they wanted celebrities and, that was also like right around the time of the birth of, of like uh, survivor and reality TV as like the Uber super duper popular. So celebrity and um, you know, the reality personality became a number one over acting as, as a talent and yep. as models, as a, as a skill and a career, yep. at least that's my take on things. Do you have a similar kind of narrative or experience around that? Well, to add to that, that group of people was the uh, success of tabloids. Yeah. I mean, you you had the reality stars that became tabloid stars and tabloids yeah. during that time sold, you yeah. know, and like they made people a lot of money. And it's even like yeah. being around the culture at the time when that was happening, like you had really successful, really talented actors that were so immersed and then became mm -hmm. so obsessed with like being in these tabloids. Like you look at like Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. So fucking talented. Pardon yep. my French, can I cuss on this? Yes. Um, <laughs> so talented, but that entire cultural phenomenon of having your picture taken when you're going to Starbucks, like when you're at whatever you're doing. Oh, and then you're having publicists and everyone norm. else saying, no, no, this is good. This is good exposure. It's good. Until it's not, until yeah, it kind of ruins your life. I would, I would think, um, but yeah, I think the the death of the supermodel in that sense of being a cover girl and selling magazines, mm -hmm. it was only a matter of time. Just like the internet now is killing print, right? It's right. really expensive to print a magazine and then have it sent into the homes, especially when you're selling each magazine for seventy five cents to a dollar, right? Yeah. So there, there's certain things that are going to happen and things are going to evolve. Um, I think there's still room for models, especially the uh, old guard. So. I think there always will be to some extent. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're humans. 
and we want to see humans. We want to see ourselves in other people. Yeah. And until we have a much greater level of merging with machine, <laughs> which may not be in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know how I feel about that, but um, I, I think there's there's a need for models and actors because we reflect, um, you know, the who you are out there, you know, in, yeah. in the world. Um, when, when you were, you know, I, I want us to kind of stay on the theme of, of, of the motherhood experience, as far as being in your body and really having an awareness, but, um, I want to try to relate that a little bit to when you were younger, mm -hmm. you know, so you were younger, you must have an awareness, you know, being, being a, uh, being a woman, being a model and, um, having the attention that, you know, especially when you were younger, it was much more accepted for men to give you attention that uh, nowadays is very much frowned upon, uh, or at least hopefully. <laughs> um, did that put you in your head? Did that put you in your body? Did that take you out of your body or head? Like, and, and how is, how does that relate to that motherhood experience? And, you know, because it sounds like motherhood was such a profound yeah. Um, so I'm grounding. just curious, how does that relate and, and, um, and juxtapose? I think, um, I mean, this is like a five part answer. I think motherhood is a grounding, as we just said, mm -hmm. like it is a moment where you're like very much in yourself because you kind of have to be, mm -hmm. uh, the male attention when I was younger, you know, I've always handled it in stride. I don't love it. I knew that one day it wouldn't be there because my yeah. mom would tell me that, which was all, it's such an interesting psychological thing to be like, oh my God, like soak it up because one day the construction guy isn't gonna cat call you. Like that's so weird for a 15 year old to even have in the back of her head. If I had a 15 year old daughter, like <laughs> I would be so upset that that was the, that was the narrative that was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, listen, like I told you, my mom's a complete character. I love her to death, but yeah. I remember her saying that in like a very jestful way and being like, one day they're not going to look at you anymore. And I was like, wow, wait a minute. Okay. But yeah, I, I think I've, I've tuned it out. And then if it was from friends or people that were close by, I think I was always very good at boundaries and continue to be really good at boundaries yeah. and also calling people out, you know, like, inappropriate, ha having inappropriate things said to me, um, or text to me by friends thinking they're being funny, or I'm just joking. I have no problem sending that person a text back and being like, we've been friends for 20 years. This isn't cool. Period. Done. And I think that also gains more respect than being yeah. the girl that's like, huh, that was, yeah, it was funny. Even though I'm sitting over here uncomfortable, why shouldn't you be made to be uncomfortable? Yeah for putting me in that position. I think I have so much admiration for anyone for any reason, if they have the, the internal fortitude to call someone out for yeah. whatever it is, you know, um, I just think that's such an amazing thing. It's not something that I was very good at when I was younger because yeah. I just didn't know how to deal with it. And I was a child that was hyper self-aware at a very early age and so whenever the normal, like, you know, ribbing and giving each other shit, you know, when you're growing up 
like I didn't really understand it like like I'm like but but why like I don't understand so I became the butt of a lot of jokes through middle school and high school and just kind of thought well that's how it is (laughs) and it took me a long time to go no no I'm not okay with this yeah well do you think if I, if I can ask, cause that just sounds yeah. like you were sensitive. Like you yeah. had an internal, you internalized things. See, I had the same thing, right? Like I would internalize things and it was, I couldn't just brush it off mm-hmm. and I would internalize it and I would think about it. And I still do this to this day. You know what I mean? And I'll have conversations in my head where I'm like, well, this is what I should have said. Or next time I see this person, that's what I'm going to say. And I had a therapist that said, stop having these conversations in your head do a breathing exercise. There's also an exercise where you can tap the roof of your mouth with your tongue like four times and then inhale four times, hold it for four, exhale, and then continue doing it because it gets you out of this hamster wheel of things in your head because you're causing yourself stress that literally doesn't exist and doesn't need to be there. I, I, I love that. I, um, when I was younger, one of my coping mechanisms, so I had a mindfulness practice fairly early on. So I would be aware of how I felt Mm -hmm. and then I would, I would create stories and knowing that this isn't my story. This is just a story I'm creating around this experience. And, um, because I was, I, I think, I think it was 15, at 15, I realized that like, oh no, I can actually be a writer. Um, But as early as uh, I think it was fifth grade, I remember writing a story about my dog and getting a certain level of praise for it because it was so creative and so, you know, inventive. And, um, and And then a number of years later, I think it was around 15, I wrote this one short story um, where I hypersexualized a um, bottle of Diet Coke, um, you know, to personify it because, you know, 15, you're raging hormones. Oh yeah. You're Everyone, like anything sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was so much kind of beating around the bush around sexuality and there was no talking about it. So I wrote this short story, hypersexualizing a, a bottle of Diet Coke, but did not give away the fact that it was a diet coke uh until or bottle of coke or whatever until the very end and so at the very end you realize what it is so i had my teacher sweating i had most of my my students sweating because they're like is he really going there oh my god and it was it was like a two-page story or something like that that's great though yeah and that's like that was the moment that i realized okay this this whole creative thing like I've, I've got something here. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my self-talk, whatever experience it was, I would take it and then pour it into a story. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's superpowers involved. <laughs> you know, sometimes it would get really dark, but it was just an exploration of, of character and story. And, and I would take whatever weird self-talk I had and, and channel it that way. That's so amazing that you could do that, that you even had the foresight to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, did it just come naturally? So again, this is probably a little bit off topic. My grandfather, (laughs) when I was um, like four years old, he had disowned my family when I was, it's a whole nother story. (laughs) Um, But he come, he came back into our lives when I was four. 
Um, and so he would tell me these insane magical stories about ancient history and uh, ancient you know, practices of time space traveling and teaching uh, farming and, and, and health and, and all of these other things, you know, from thousands of years ago to this time that modern history says didn't, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believed it. I was four years old, five years old, of course. You know, seven. I, you know, I believed these stories. So I think, it, you know, between studying martial arts my entire life, the kind of things that he talked about and taught me in terms of mysticism and kind of magic and the way he would use storytelling. I think it was just a natural progression and uh, it it just became a safe place for me to, to process and redirect anything and everything that I was dealing with. God, I love this. That is so cool. I wish like a, that that's, I, I would say it's a gift to be able to do that. I mean, I think it's one of yeah, those things I, where I, it, I, it's a, I mean it's a long a held skill. I yeah. would say, you know, it was a gift that my grandfather, I think gave me the tools. I'm not sure. And this is, this gets into that nature versus nurture. Yeah. Like, I don't know what any of us truly, any human being um, has a real talent for other than our point of view. Mm-hmm. And then our point of view will shape everything else. And, and, and then like, we want to be more physical. So, you know, dance or I don't know, whatever fighting, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, I think the world, so, okay. So I have a theory, this, this will just simplify it easier. Um, or maybe a hypothesis, is a better way that humans are survivalists. That's our only true nature is to survive. And because we are, um, need such great taking care of in the first, you know, 10, 15 years of our lives, uh, we need community. And so, and we learn at a very early age that survival is easier when we have one or more people helping us and involved. And the more people we can have working together, the better off we are. So that's a thriving community. And then as soon as we're put into survival mode, having to defend whatever we're doing, then we go into lockdown, survival mode, fear-based. And that's where you get tribalism, you know, and this idea of, you know, so I'm not an academic in that way that I've have the data to say, see, this is reality, but I believe in my 40 years plus of, of kind of looking and feeling these things that that's our truth. You know, we are survivalists first and everything else comes out of that. And when we're thriving is when we find cool shit to do, like tell stories with trauma because I didn't feel threatened Mm -hmm. because I had a loving family and I had some good friends. So when people would talk shit about me or make fun of me, like I was like, like okay. I, I felt bad, but at the same token, like I'm not going to go and just wallow in it. Um, yeah. I needed to do something with it. So yeah. it's, I think it's more of a skill. Um, and through love and, and uh, support, I think my skill turned that way. That's amazing. 
Yeah. On that note, like on that note of having a loving community, I mean, I think it's taken me 36 years to come to the conclusion that we don't need to be friends with everyone and you're not for everyone. And it's something that I had to really start working on. And my husband literally has helped me. Like, that's awesome. We have acquaintances that are really good friends with my best friend. They don't like me. And I'm like, you know, three years ago, it's like, oh my God, like, why? And, and, you know, it would be one of those things in my head where I was going over it and over it again. And then I finally was just like, I don't, why do I care? about being friends. I think it's also, again, having a baby, your level or your, your capability to put up with other people's shit yeah. goes way down and you just don't have the time. You don't have the capacity for it. And your world becomes very insular That's awesome. or uh, the people around you that are really important and are a real part of your community and show real support becomes so much more important. And all the little stuff falls to the wayside. And I think that it's such a great conclusion to come to, at least for me personally, mm-hmm. that it doesn't bother me as much. It's like, we don't need to be friends with everybody. That's no. okay. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, I feel like, you know, just touching on that whole idea of community thing, we can be a part of a thriving community and, and appreciate other people's thriving communities and when we it. don't feel the need to be a part of <laughs> a part yeah. of what they're doing. And it's like, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I'm going to go over here and do this. Yeah. If we need to swap whatever we will, but otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. And that, and that's totally acceptable and it's totally fine, but it did take me a long time to get there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm well, I mean, to be fair though, I don't think it took you a long time because it took you a long time. I think it took you a long time because our culture is not set up for that type of thinking. I mean, our our business isn't set up that way. Our culture isn't set up that way. Like, you know, I, I would love to wave a magic wand and say, uh, you know, let's all do what makes us happy and support, <laughs> support other people that are doing things that make them happy. Yeah. And if we can't support them, we don't be a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> we step away. Like how, duh, <laughs> like it's yeah. so logical. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of, I, I mean, personally knowing narcissists and like that aspect of people mm-hmm. holy moly i yeah. wish you could wave that wand <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean and i okay this may be optimistic or overly optimistic i don't know but i think that unless they are neurologically incapable like if they like if they just can't make their neurological connection to have empathy i think even the most you know, quote unquote, narcissistic person, you know, is dying for that love and support, but they don't know how to give it to themselves. So they're never going to be able to give it or accept it from someone else. Yeah. And that's like, that's God, like, that's where it starts to me. Like it starts with helping children become like Mm self-realized, you know, like, so, okay, going back to the being in your body and being conscious of choices and so forth, did you ever feel um, prior to modeling? Because it sounds like having a job really kind of made you aware of choices. Did you have any other experiences younger in life that made you go, um, like, be self-aware? 
Um, well, I mean, I started as a child actor. Yeah. So I was already acting at two. Okay. So, so I, I can't answer that outside of, you know, modeling or acting or whatever, just being in the entertainment industry. I think I was self-aware then. I was self-aware yeah. enough to literally say to my mom after a big audition, I was probably like four years old and I still kind of remember it. And she also tells me about it. So I, th I don't know if it's the two memories getting meshed together, but I was so stressed, which I didn't know that that's what I was or anxious right. or whatever. Um, I left the audition and I remember getting in the car and like basically not crying because the audition scared me, crying because I didn't want to disappoint her mm -hmm. by saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I'm done. Like we were driving an hour and a half. We lived in Cherry Valley, which is out towards Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. So she was driving me in for auditions. And I just remember going to that last one. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm scared and anxious when I go in there, you know? And I, she was like, okay, if you don't want to do it anymore, you don't have to. And then That's a not... year later, you know, I said, Hey, I want to do this again. And she's like, okay, let's pick up the phone and let's call your, your old agents and see if they'll take you back. You know? And that was, she was super supportive in that yeah. way. But I remember being aware enough at that age to know that I didn't want to do it anymore. And it wasn't a little kid. I don't want to do this anymore. It was a like, this is stressing me out. <laughs> there's a high, yeah. And there's a high level of awareness. Uh, yeah. I, that's fascinating because I feel like that had to have played a, played a role into your ability to treat your modeling as a, as a job, as a career. Yeah. Um, and then it also probably had a, a whole nother level of impact because when you became a mother and had that realization, I'm guessing it was probably on a deeper level than what someone who hadn't had your experience might experience. I mean, I would never take away someone else's level of experience in being a mother just yeah. because I've had these I, prior experiences, but I, I didn't mean I it like mean, that. I didn't, okay. mean, I didn't mean to connect it. <laughs> I didn't mean that. to connect it to motherhood. I, okay. I meant it's really, a, a, I was trying to comment on uh, self-awareness okay. or, or the realized self and the, um, the level at which you're able to experience yourself mm -hmm. in, an, in, a, in an honest way. Um, you know, it seems to me as I talk to people that art, uh, any kind of art, you know, whether it's dance, music, acting, you know, performing, modeling, anything, any type of perform performance or um, expressive art mm -hmm. form, seems to have a massive impact on one's ability to see themselves more clearly. Absolutely. And that's, and then, so then couple that with the power of motherhood, I feel like that must be a different experience, I guess is what I was trying to say. Does that make sense? That makes more sense. Yes. Okay. I think it's a different experience in the sense that the physicality again, having this job, being aware in that job, being aware of my body mm -hmm. and then going into motherhood and being aware of the physicality in that. I wouldn't put emotion into it because I, I get a lot of pride out of my job. I like, mm -hmm. my husband knows, like I love to work because it really like fills my cup. Like I love That's booking amazing. a job. I love going and doing a good job, getting like a repeat client. Like my neurons are like, this is amazing. 
But in turn, like if I have a great day with my kid, cause I'm also basically a stay at home mom, like, mm-hmm. you know, the two can't compete, but it's still that great feeling and like feeling that and going to bed at night and being like really happy and like tired in the most wonderful way. It's, it's a really interesting place to be in your headspace. So this is a little bit of a guilty question. Um, <laughs> Because my, fa- my fiance and I have talked about having kids. She's scared to death of actually birthing. Don't be, that was the easiest. That's, that's the easy part. Okay. I'll- when they come out and you have to take care of it. <laughs> that's the hard part. Um, and for her, she's made comments of like, you have something growing in you that's conscious and aware or has, or some, or will be conscious and aware. And like that, I think is the freak out part more so than the actual giving birth. Um, no, I, I think not even in hindsight, I, I got really lucky. I hate saying this to some women because some women have a really, really hard time being pregnant, like being mm. sick every day, being nauseous every day, like have to leave their jobs early because they're literally That's not stuff. puking yeah. while they're trying to do their job. Like not cool, right? I was sick for maybe three weeks. Nobody knew I was pregnant except for my uh, the photographer in my office. So there's only mm-hmm. three of us in one studio. And I'd come back from Christmas break and I put a flower bucket that we use for propping under my desk. And she's like, what's that for? And I was like, oh, I just want to make sure nobody takes it. And like an hour later, she's like, Veronica. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm pregnant. And she's like, oh my God. So it's very exciting. Yeah. But yeah, uh, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, 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 that's amazing. I mean, but, but that also plays into what you were talking about earlier with your community of these oh, people at work that were so, so supportive. I mean, that I just got, sounds amazing so lucky with my like work wives and work husband. Like I got really, really lucky, but for some women they're sick the whole time. I was sick for three weeks. I didn't really feel that uncomfortable until the very end Mm -hmm. when like my hips hurt and all that kind of stuff started happening. But otherwise, like, I think because I had a full-time job, to be honest, I didn't have time to really sit around and be like, I'm uncomfortable. I was, um, the uh, style director. So I, I I did everything from styling out every look for our shoots Mm -hmm. to being a spokesperson. So I was traveling and I was going on like KTLA to talk about our products. I was the spokesperson. So, you know, I had to like sit in the chair with my giant belly (laughs) and do things like that, which it was exciting because it felt like, oh, like I'm, I'm pregnant, which is, by the way, I have to make this comment being pregnant as a model has to be one of those freeing things in the world. Because just like all of a sudden you're just like, oh, my abs aren't flat or like, I'm not as skinny as I want to be. All of a sudden you're just like, nobody cares because I am so pregnant and I don't have to suck it in. And it's amazing. That's awesome. And it was, I think that experience for me was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. That's really <laughs> cool. Did you, I know you posted some pictures, but were you modeling pregnant as well? Did you do any model, like pregnancy shoots like professionally? Um, I ended up only doing one because I was at my full-time job. Mm. My CEO found out that I was leaving to go do it. I, I literally shot for Kohl's, but you have to fly to Milwaukee. So it's like a full day of flying, yeah. spend the night, and then a full day of work. And then you fly back that afternoon. So it's really only two days, but he was like, you can't just like leave. 
And I was like, wait, I can't. I could. Um, I could, and I'm going to for this. And so he was like, this, you can do this one, but you don't have any more PTO and all that good stuff, which by the way is crap. Um, don't even get me started on paid time off for maternity leave because we'll be here for hours. Uh, but that's also a cultural thing in oh this country. God. I mean, yeah. Oh, oh, you had a baby? We're going to need you back in two months. Your body is so not even ready to leave the house in two months. Wow. Or six weeks for some people, yeah. depending on the job, depending on how demanding your job is. It's, it's wild. And by the way, you're treated so well when you're pregnant. People are so nice. And then that baby comes out and people are like, oh my God, who's the woman with the annoying thing? Like, it's such a weird cultural thing oh, we yeah. have here where in other countries, or if you meet someone from another country, they're just like, you have a baby. And they like, want to talk to you or talk to the baby. And you're just like, why isn't everybody here like that? <laughs> yeah, we have a strange American culture for so many things right now that I just don't think makes sense. Yeah. And they're built around these stories that around working and being productive and I just don't know how they serve us. Um, I don't know, maybe not for us to change anytime in the next, you know, few years, but hopefully they will change sooner yeah. than later. Um, because who are they helping? <laughs> like, I, you know, I ended up going back to work and there was somebody at my job who was a freelancer and I would ask for guidance because, you know, she was a mother and her response to me about maternity leaves and things like that would be like, well, I didn't go on maternity leave. And it was like, I was supposed to like applaud her. And I was like, okay, well, good for you. And I'm glad that you like went back to work and felt comfortable doing that. I didn't, my experience is going to be different than everyone else's. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But, but it was like this thing where like the way that it was delivered was constantly like, oh, I didn't go on maternity leave. Like I'm better than you because I wanted to go back to work. That's the cultural problem. I feel like yeah. Be because I have a hard time believing anyone would think that it would be a good idea to go back sooner than later if they had the option or had the yeah. support not to. Yeah. I mean, and maybe there's some jobs where they love their job so much and they do it remotely. So it's easy to manage it all. And, yeah. you know, and they want to, because they can do that. But if that's not the case and those, and those, and I would think those are rare situations because how many people actually get to do what they love? Exactly. So Back to what you had said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of tragic. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck on the tragedy for a second. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, <sighs> so, you know, having a child changing everything how did your coping mechanisms change you know from pre and after or, or did they just get heightened um it was definitely one of those things where sorry can you hear the saw going off is it bothering you I, it's fine it is what okay. it is okay you can cut this part out they're they're building a house next door and apparently they've been building it for five and a half years <laughs> Oh, geez. Fun. And he's almost done. It's so close. Like they're finally getting finishings put on and all this stuff, but there's like construction every day. And he's very apologetic, but I saw it pop up on my screen. It was like playing music. 
I was like, sorry, it's not music. It's just a buzz song. All right, ask your question again. Um, so, so coping mechanisms um, after after being pregnant and before being pregnant, what were what were the challenges or changes? Did they get amplified? How did what happened? What was the difference? I unfortunately went through a huge bout of um, postpartum depression. And I luckily, I was with Kaiser. So they had like a support group, which was great, which also meant like I stayed out of work, I think an extra month, I want to say, or like three weeks. And that's considered medical leave at that point in time? It's still medical leave. Oh, it's just that it's a, okay. So it's just a continuation of the medical leave for pregnancy. Exactly. Which is crazy. It's like, yeah, it's not crazy. I don't want to, don't use the word crazy when talking about postpartum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things where if you have a natural birth, you only get a certain amount of time. If you have a cesarean, you get a little bit more time. If you have postpartum, you get a little bit more time. So if you're working the system, even if I didn't have postpartum, I was like, why wouldn't I just say, you know, yeah, I have postpartum. And then I was like, oh boy, but I have postpartum. So I really do need this time off. <laughs> and the postpartum was, it was not, there's the baby blues, which mm-hmm. happens in like the first month or so, because your hormones go from this and they just tank. Yeah. And by the way, question for all the wonderful scientists out there, how do we have ED pills coming out the wazoo that are covered by insurance, but we do not have like a hormone replacement therapy for postpartum women. It is so crazy to me. Because that's all, that's what it is. It's just hormones, right? It's just a a balancing of hormones. I mean, it's a balancing of hormones. I don't think it's that simple. And that's probably why we don't have the science behind it quite yet. Yeah. But there should be some maybe so just Some a little options. bit of research in there like, because they, uh, the first thing they make you do, or they try to push on you before leaving the hospital is they try to give you birth control because a lot of women get pregnant right away because I guess nobody took sex ed and people <laughs> have <their birth laughs> and they end up getting pregnant, which is actually kind of dangerous if you're not done with like the postpartum side of things. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they don't want you to get pregnant right away. So you have constant nurses and doctors in there being like, so what kind of birth control do you want to be on? I'm like, I'm not going back on birth control. Like that's a whole other thing that takes your body a long time to cleanse itself of. So I'm just like, I'm not taking birth control. And they're like, well, do you have any form of birth control? I'm like, yes, there's other types of birth control that don't mean me taking a hormonal laced pill or putting something in my body for a long term. And then they have you fill out questionnaires every time you bring the baby back mm-hmm. for their checkup. And you like do how like you're feeling and yes. You get one checkup appointment as the woman, right? One checkup, that's it. The baby gets multiple appointments, which I also think is crazy. In Europe, they literally have a woman, a nurse or a doula, come to your house that like helps take care of the baby and make sure you're okay and checks on your living situation. Like the welfare of well, the baby and you is so top priority in the this country. The doula is a, a feminine centric or, or, or matriarchal centric concept pre, yes. pre um, medicine. All, yeah. And yeah. From what I understand, I saw some documentary on um, 
I can't remember if it, maybe it's just on birthing, maybe it's on gynecology, but it basically said that there were far less problems birthing before man, men got involved uh, yes. from a medical science perspective um, because humans have been doing it for 3 million years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you probably watched The Business of Being Born, which is one of the more popular documentaries. Maybe that was it. So one of the biggest points that's always made when, when male gy gynecology became involved in birthing, um, it's easier for the doctor to deliver if you're laying down. Right. But is it easier it's to not deliver? Yeah. No, <laughs> right. okay. it's literally not supposed to yeah. be that way. Gravity, everyone, works right. how you think it works. So I, <laughs> I might, we can get into my birthing story. I wasn't going to do an epidural. One of my best friends is like, nobody comes in the room and high fives you. Okay. So make yourself comfortable. And I was like, that's, a, that's one of the most honest, best notes I've ever gotten. Yeah. So I labored at home for a really long time. I want to say like, 17 hours that sounds horrifying yeah until my husband was like I know you I think it's time to go to the hospital and I had a doula so we finally like she was like yeah it sounds like you need to go if it sounds like you're finally like in the zone and I showed up and I was seven centimeters dilated which is like go time and the doctor or the nurse says to me do you want your epidural and I was so tired I'd been up since like 1 a.m or 2 a.m mm -hmm. and it was 6 p.m in the afternoon. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, because I want to take a nap. And they kind of laughed and they're like, that's actually really smart. And I was like, it's the last great nap I ever had. Um, not the last, just for the last, the last for a long period of time. For a long period <laughs> of time. Um, and it was one of those things where when you take the epidural, legally, they don't let you move because oh. you don't have use of your legs really. Right. So my animal instinct is to sit up and like you bear know down. gravity and bear yeah. down but they won't let me and it was so frustrating because once you have the epidural it's really dangerous because you really can't feel your legs or below your waist and i understand that but i was like but this doesn't feel right like i feel like it would go much better if you guys would just let me stand <laughs> and then you're also loopy because you're just exhausted yeah so just yeah when when males started getting involved and studying birthing and all that kind of stuff and you have a woman laying down it becomes exponentially harder so the more yeah you it just doesn't make sense to me but i you know i haven't had to go through that yet and yeah. we are very much of the mind you know that anything that's going to make it easier for her is better 100 now that doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean epidural first. That means like doula. That means, you know, yeah. people who, who have a, um, a lineage <laughs> going yeah. back, you know, a long time to do this the proper way, because, you know, we both agree that, um, Western medicine's amazing, but it's kind of the last protocol. Like it's 100%. Like, what else are we going to do? Well, I guess we go to Western medicine, yeah. you know? That's yeah. kind of our feeling. And, um, I, and by the way, th this changes too. You know what I mean? Like as you go to your doctor's appointments and stuff like that, you guys are going to make the best decision yeah. for you. Yeah. And I had a doula and she was there and she was amazing. And she advocated for me on certain things because there's a lot of like new um, tools that they have to help birth and all this. And 
again, you're so tired. And they're like, well, what if we do this? And my doula was like, no, she doesn't want that. I was like, thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> because, and then, you know. Because your husband also, I mean, I he's never done imagine, it before. <laughs> right. And and he doesn't, he doesn't have any concept of what you're going through other than um, empathetic, which yeah. is not a true understanding. You know, yeah. it's a, a form of understanding. So, I mean, yeah. it's also got to be difficult for him to be able to make any decisions because, you know, there's so much stress because if he screws up, you're going to hate him forever. <laughs> Not forever, just for well, like 10 minutes. I get yeah. over things very easily. Um, but no, nonetheless. It, 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 nonetheless, it's, I, I would highly recommend that because a doula, because it does help a lot. You also have somebody in your corner that has seen births yeah. a lot, depending that's, on who you hire. I think that's the thing that makes me want to have one more than anything else for her is if we're going to go through that, I want someone that knows what they're doing from multiple perspectives and mm -hmm. is able to advise you in a way it's like, you know, if I'm going to be a boxer, I want the best corner person in the world. So birthing, I feel like it's the same thing. 100%. And I don't look at doctors as corner people because they are. No, their job is to make sure the baby's okay and get the baby yeah. out. And, and I also gave birth at a teaching hospital. So, which I didn't really care. Wild. Yeah, but it, still, how many I, people? <laughs> it's so funny. I, I know so many people, including people in my family that were like, loved their doctor and their doctor had to deliver their baby. Mm -hmm. I went into it knowing that my doctor is a mom. She has a cool. five-year-old and we discussed it. She's like, I would try to be there, but if I'm not there and I was like, that's okay. Like, I have no, cool. I, I went in kind of open to the idea that she wasn't going to be there. So I was not disappointed. I wasn't scared because she wasn't there. But like, you also again, had your doula and you had your husband. And I had my so husband. So you had like a great support network. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had a team of people. And then I had around. a team of people staring at me giving birth. Yeah. That part was really interesting. I didn't, I didn't mind it, to be honest. Was it, I, it, was was it like being on set? I was just going to say. <laughs> also the light that they bring down is the best beauty dish ever <laughs> so, so we're like after pictures when I'm first holding the baby I looked at them and I was like why do we look so good and I was like oh we should have them sell these to studios that's amazing yeah um but it was it was the doctor nurse the nurse that she was, or that was shadowing her. Mm -hmm. And then I think four or five medical students. Wow. Yeah. But honestly, I it did not bother me. That's cool. I mean, I also have to imagine not for know, everyone. The, the exhaustion and everything else probably plays a role into not bothering oh, you. Just get it out of me. Yeah. Please. Like I was, it, I think there's a point in my head and my, my I went into it knowing I do not want to have a cesarean. Don't yeah, want to God. have a cesarean. And, I, and yeah. they, there's a lot of cesareans that happen because the birth's taking too long. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know there was a time limit on the room. Like, really? You're going to like wheel this woman out because she's not pushing hard enough or whatever. And obviously there are points where a cesarean is absolutely necessary. Yeah, there, there are sure. There is definitely medical emergencies or safety protocols, but there's a difference between um we've been here too long let's let's yeah let's, like let's... oh the baby's in distress i'm like yeah we're both in distress like 
it's life. It's, this is what's going to happen. Um, so I went into it with that mindset. So yeah. there is a point where I was, I remember being so exhausted, but I knew that was the only other option. And that just yeah. made me go, got to get it done. Like, That's something that I really uh, pray. I, I think my sister had a cesarean. I think only one, she has two children. I have two nephews. And I, I know she had one for sure cesarean. I can't remember the others, but you know, it was, it's tough, tough recovery, tough, you know, it's, across the board. And yeah, like anytime you have muscles cut and reattached, yeah. that's major traumatic surgery. And yeah, I, I like, yeah, if there's and then you any have way around thing it. on it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not just like you get to go home and be on bed rest. You have to take Move. care of somebody. Yeah. My best friend actually went through it during COVID. She has a COVID baby wow. as we call them. And she, yep. her husband could only stay with her for like two hours. So she was alone in a hospital that's with horrible. understaffed nurses being told to stay in her room. So she like was, had to stay inside her room, you know, just had a cesarean and just trying to take care of this newborn. And there's not a lot of hands on deck and it's just like, yeah, crazy. Yeah. I'm glad we're starting to finally come out of that because <sighs> I, you know, too many people had too much struggle. And, um, I mean, I can't even imagine giving birth is, must be difficult enough not to add that on top of it giving well and then i have other friends that like gave birth with a mask on and when i hear people like this is uncomfortable i'm like don't be a pussy yeah. <laughs> get over it get over it seriously um okay we kind of skipped over coping mechanisms so uh let's see if we can touch let's find that. our way back yeah coping mechanisms um I think I was telling you before my breathing exercises that helps a lot. And so you do um, some of those same breathing exercises now. Yeah. And, and so, so a lot of what you've done hasn't changed then. No, I think I brought my tools that I've always used into motherhood. I do. Um, I, I'm not proud of it, but I do have like a short temper so I really try to I would never, I honestly would never guess that about you. <laughs> oh, like, I mean, yes. I, like I, like I said early when we first started this, I mean, I don't think I've actually seen you, uh, since, uh, in person, since we, we filmed Mad Men, but, um, yeah. you were so sweet, so calm. And so just like, like, whatever, like I <sighs> never in a million years would imagine that you had a temper. I think it's one of those things. Like once you get the job, you're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. They can fire me, but they're, they're probably not going to. Yeah. They got to pay me at this point. So <laughs> they pay me. It's fine. It's yeah. all good. Um, it'd be embarrassing if they fired me, but you know, it's all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> coping mechanisms definitely have remained the same. And I've also really, uh, I've taken a deep dive into figuring out why we have short tempers, why we have that fight or flight mechanism, why mm. like if somebody asks me a question for the 20th time, that's my like limit where I'm just like, stop. <laughs> like, and it's also really hard because this thing that's asking you the question for the 20th time, you made it <laughs> and it's yours and there's no out, you know, there's like a, there's a finite time <laughs> for, for when you're babysitting or things like that. But when it's yours, you're like, this is forever. <laughs> so it's a lot of um, just trying to better myself 
to make sure he's the best version of himself. Have, have you, well, first off, I love that because I think that's just, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the, the thing that everyone needs make yourself better because it's going to make everything better for your kids, for your kids, kids, for your community. Like the old, uh, put the oxygen mask on yourself before putting it on somebody else. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in that. And also as like a married couple, I always told my husband, I was like, it's you and me first, because without that as the foundation, yeah, he's going to suffer. And I wanted to really make sure that we weren't the parents that were going to start brushing each other off because we have this new human to take care of. And luckily that's common too. So it's so common uh, because I feel like I was never one of the moms that was like, you're doing it wrong. You know, I was like, you go ahead, do it wrong. If you're going to do it wrong and he's going to live. Yeah. Like the baby's going to be fine. And luckily my husband I mean, I can't say this enough and I don't want to brag, but he's a phenomenal father to the point where like other women are like, my husband never did that. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) It also sounds like your husband has a similar mentality where he wants Mm -hmm. to be better for, for, for your life to be easier, for his life to be easier, for your kid's life to be easier. So again, work on yourself. (laughs) Don't ask other people to change if you aren't willing to do the, do, do some work too, you know? 100%. Um, did have you on the trigger thing? Um, you said you've been kind of doing that internal work and trying to figure out why you get triggered. Have you figured it out or have you learned anything about human nature or, or have any kind of suppositions about all of that? I read something interesting that said a lot of the things that are your breaking point or are really, um, agitating to you or irritating is something that you don't like about yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And so once it was more that, often than not, not always, more, but more often not than always, not, yeah. but more often than not. And so I started doing that and like really tuning into myself and I'm like, why, what aspect of what's annoying me right now, or what is making me have a short temper? What is he doing? That's really a mirror to myself. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like what you were saying, like you make up a story and you use that aspect and I'm not yeah. making up a story. I'm more like taking my thought process somewhere else. Yeah. Period. That's and, amazing. Uh, and that's a form of mindfulness for sure. That's a form of mindfulness meditation, which is, which is amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. all hundred percent advocate um, of mindfulness meditation because it's the more awareness you have, the more you can understand yourself, just the better off you're going to be period. You know, that's my position. I think so. And I also think you can admit to yourself that you're not perfect or <laughs> you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of people walking around just being like, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. And fine. Like, really fine. Yeah, yeah, really. That's what you strive for That's in your life. For. <laughs> you know, and, and I also like, like I said, the postpartum depression, like it was a long battle. Like it was finally eight months in, which they give you a very arbitrary number of months, right? They're like, mm. by six months, you shouldn't have any postpartum. And I went through so much in that first six months, I was let go from my job. So that was January. I just came so that back adds, from- That's got to add to the- So sh- much stress. Because yeah. I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was not my goal. I was like, mm. I love my job. I'm going to continue working and I'm going to have my baby and it's going to be great. And then March happens and we're in lockdown. So it was, I think it was just like postpartum, being let go and then 
pandemic and it just built and built and built. And I wasn't, again, you know, I couldn't go to my therapist anymore. And then she mm-hmm. started doing Zoom and it was fine. But there was a period where I was like not taking care of myself and it added up. And I finally just like, not exploded, but like emotionally just like let go. And I told my husband everything that was going on. He was like, okay, (laughs) we need to take a moment. And he, you know, is such a huge support in my life. And to be able to like admit certain things to him and have him have almost zero judgment or ask how he can help instead of most people look at women with postpartum and they're like, oh, that's evil or that's cruel or why would you have those thoughts? Now we're really worried about you. He was like, what can I do? What can we do? And let's figure this out together. Because again, when you're doing well, everyone else is doing well. Yeah. So it was yeah. very helpful. I think that's amazing. I think it's really amazing. Um, just to, to, this is a slightly guilty question about the postpartum because this is more my curiosity than anything else. Um, you made an earlier comment that it's mostly a hormonal thing. So mm-hmm. are they are they just really waiting for your hormones to get back to normal? Like that's, that's all they can do. Yeah, pretty much. Cause your hormones, again, it's like, you're just like full of amazing hormones. And then the baby comes out and your body just like depletes. And I don't, I'd have to look, I'd have to look it up for you and I'll text it to you later because it's yeah, I'm curious. kind of insane. What happens? Like you're all of a sudden, it would basically, I don't, I, I don't take any, pharmaceutical antidepressants mm-hmm. um or I haven't since I was a teenager and I I could imagine that it's like being on like a really good antidepressant and then just someone taking it away from you oh, and we wow. know what happens to people yeah that are on antidepressants yeah, yeah. that are just taken off of them right away and not weaned off of them so it's yep. kind of the same thing and there's a lot of um postpartum anxiety which is really dark for some people. Like, Would that fall into the category more of, it's not so much the chemical side of it or the hormonal side of it, but more of the feeling guilty that you're having these feelings or- That, but it's also a mental thing and you're mm-hmm. also exhausted. So exhaustion mm-hmm. plays in here into it here. And I actually talked to a dad friend of mine that was having the same thing, which was wild. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. I feel so much more comfortable talking about this with you, but you finally, you know, are going to sleep and the baby's in the other room, but you fall asleep and the first visual or dream in your head is like your baby's dead or blue in the other room. And I would jump out of bed and like run or go to the end of the bed to like, make sure he's okay. And I was like, okay, he's okay. And then go back to sleep. So finally a friend of mine whose baby was in the NICU, they have little clips that you can put on their diapers and like, a, like an alert heart, a heart rate uh, alert. Okay. And she was like, I know that you're not, you, you're losing sleep over this. Just use one of these. And it literally, it might've been a bandaid on the problem, but it helped us so much because we could finally like sleep peacefully knowing that he was okay in the other room. I can guarantee you if we have a second baby, <laughs> totally yeah. fine. It's just the first one. That's funny. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot. Somebody just like sends you home with this human. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's wild. I, I that yeah. little, um, the little sensor you're talking about or medication, I kind of look at those as bridges, you know, yes. it's bridges to get you where you need to be. And I like that much better than band-aid. Okay. I yeah. Like because, because a band-aid I feel like is temporary where a bridge can be permanent. 
um, mm-hmm. or, or temporary. It could be whatever you need it to be, you yeah. know? Um, and I, I feel like I was, I was having a conversation uh, with another friend in an earlier episode and um, I wasn't even fully aware of what was going on with their, with their son um, and ADHD. And I have ADHD, I've always had it, but I've learned how to deal with it so that most people would never even know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I would turn on the TV, I'd turn on the radio, and then I would sit down and do my homework while beating on the table, like, like a drum. And it gave me so much stimuli that I was then able to focus within that because I created like a, a storm. And then I be, was able to just sink into be the eye of the storm and be yeah. really, really calm. And, um, and I, I, I have tried self-medication over the years. I've not, um, allowed doctors to put me on medication because mm-hmm. I know once they put you on medication, you're on it. Yeah. Um, but so mostly meditation, mindfulness, breathing exercises, athletics, um, performing, writing, all of these artistic things have given me amazing skills. And anytime I have to go to something outside of myself, I, I look at that as a bridge. I yeah. need a bridge to, you know, couple these two things together because I'm, I'm either missing skills, missing, you know, or something is off. And I, I feel like they're essential again. Absolutely. Western medicine is amazing for some things. <laughs> and listen, I also, I want to say, as we're saying this, I don't want there to be a stigma about being on antidepressants. Yeah. I know people that need antidepressants. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, I've hit the wall a couple of times and said, like, I think I should just do it. You know, I think I should just do it. I think my life will be better if I'm on them. And then I turn a corner and I'm like, okay, didn't have to do it. But I, you know, there's always the potential. I know that Mm -hmm. like my grandmother suffered from depression, but it was never really, we don't, you you didn't talk about depression or it's not the same as it is today. Like it was very much like, oh, she's a mom. Like she has three kids that she's trying to take care of. Of course she's she's depressed. Yeah. Of course yeah, there's I, an issue. And I think there's different levels of depression, you know, and like I can, I can go into a downward spiral so fast, mm-hmm. but I can get myself out and, you know, being in the relationship that I'm in gets me out faster than anything in the past, because I don't want to let her down. And I don't want her, I don't want her to spiral because of me. And it's also not all about you. Right. Anymore. Exactly. You know, you, you have compassion and love and you're with somebody that you care enough about that you're willing to go. I'm going to be yeah. better for this person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wish that the first line of defense for people was to get a pet that they have to take care of. 100. <laughs> Let's see what this percent. does for you. Yeah. <laughs> because then we can gauge how bad your depression is. <laughs> yeah. I agree <laughs> like, with that. Or, or community. Hey, Michael, can you give me two seconds? Yeah, yeah. I just need to grab my charger. Sure. I thought it was in here and it is not. Give me a second. And we're back. We're back. Sorry (laughs) about that. No, it's fine. Um, Yeah. And we'll probably, we'll probably wrap it up here in next couple of minutes. Anyhow, and you know, we can always do a round two at some point in time, but I feel like, you know, we've 
we've touched on some amazing, important things and, and some valuable things. So I think this has been a great episode as it is. Um, I, I think maybe just kind of where we're at right now, maybe just to kind of tie things together. Um, how do you feel now? Because it's, I got the impression that you have your own stylist business now, mm-hmm. in addition to doing, you know, um, the acting and the modeling and being a mom and everything else. So how have you been taking everything into launching your own business, your own brand and, um, you know, the next, this next stage of your life? Well, I had the styling business for about seven years and it was kind of a side thing. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I was like, this is what I'm doing, but I was Mm -hmm. building the work behind the scenes because I definitely wanted to have a body of work and a portfolio that I could show to clients that didn't know me. So again, it goes back to the professionalism and treating the modeling as a job. When Mm -hmm. you show up on time, you're prepared, you have a good attitude on set and you actually get along with the people you're working with, the chances of them bringing you back as a model and or a stylist are far greater, right? I think anything. And that goes for any business. You know, people want to work, especially on sets, people want to work with people they trust and they're going to have fun with. Yeah, you're stuck with them for 10 plus hours, 15 hours. Exactly. And that's one of the best parts of our jobs is that it's just like the traveling circus and there's different people in every town and you get to be around so many different talents and artists and creatives. And so doing the styling, because I always, always loved the sartorial side of things like Mm -hmm. clothing and just obsessed with looking at magazines. And I wanted to do what I loved. (laughs) So I started working with a photographer friend of mine, Kelly Fajak, who is, you know, basically like my work husband. Nice. And we've done shoots in Bali, Tahiti, uh, we do a lot of stuff in like Palm Springs. I'll be shooting with him in the desert next week. I'm styling a private family photo shoot, which I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like That's I want to dress the whole family. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I just turned it into something that like, again, that I love doing and wanted to do. And now I'm starting to move more into private styling. So I want to do personal shopping and closet cleanouts and organization and create outfits for people's everyday lives. So if all of a sudden I end up on a TV show and I want to completely redesign my outward look, I can call you and say, what do I do? Because I have like no fashion sense whatsoever. Yes. Yes. So basically you give me your credit card. It's the most important part. Aspiring stylist. Um, (laughs) Well, fingers crossed I'll be able to do that one day. Love it. And first I would go to your house. We'd go through your closet. You would show me what you love. I love to come at it from a really emotional standpoint. So a lot of times Mm. I'll have my clients sit in the other room. I go through their closet and I bring things out that I think are no's and I want their immediate response to it. So So my girlfriend feel emotionally where they're at where they're at because I have certain pieces in my closet that I'm never going to wear again, but I'm like, but that's what I wore on like my third date with my husband, mm-hmm. I want to keep it. So there are, you know, certain levels of donate, we're going to sell this. And then this is a keepsake nostalgia piece that we will box up properly and put away. If you really that's don't cool. think you're going to wear it again, yeah, that's or really cool. we can hang it back in the closet. If you do like the aspect of actually saying it depends mm-hmm. on how much space you're working with, et cetera. Um, and I've learned that that's a really great way to go about it because if your client's in the room with you, first of all, 
I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm like, stop touching my stuff. <laughs> it's the Virgo in me. I can't help it. Yeah, no, I, um, it'd be weird. <laughs> and and there's like people that they have really beautiful pieces or really expensive pieces. And, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's rifling through their closet. So if I put them in the other room and I'm like, you hang out, if you need to do some work, whatever, I'm going to bring things out on a rack or one by one and show you and what your immediate emotional responses to that item. It's such an easy decision. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. That's amazing. And, and everything you've done leading up to this point has just given you kind of the, the confidence and the comfort to, to just run with this. Uh, the confidence, the clout. And yeah, I, I think it's 90% of styling, especially if you're doing editorials or like celebrity is your mm-hmm. connections. Yeah, I don't really strive to do red carpet and all that kind of stuff. I love the commercial world that I'm in because I find it more my speed. It's laid back. A little more authentic. Authentic, relaxed. Um, the producers are always really great. Mm. You know, things like that. Uh, I, I think being on set and knowing how to act on set mm. has also, I mean, that's the best training ever. Been doing it 20 plus years. Yeah, it really is amazing being on set. The the thing that I love being on set more than anything else is that there's hundreds of people. Everyone knows their job. Everyone knows what they're doing. A good set. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it just, it's, it's like this magic, you know, kind of machine that just all happens. Isn't like, it amazing? It is, it is, you know, movie magic. It is it magic. Really is. It and is. I just love like, I mean, I did a standard job recently and it was my first time doing a stand-in job. And it was amazing watching all the guys. First of all, there's only one other girl on the entire set the entire day. That's woman, gotta be a sorry, little bit girl. weird. Um, the, well, the produce, two producers were women. There was okay. one woman, I think she might've been a gaffer. Okay. And then, and then one woman the prop app. stylist. Okay. And then it was all men. But it was so interesting to see like literally the behind the scenes before they shot this huge commercial with this very huge actress and that whole thing. And I was like, wow, it's much different than going on set and being a, you know, a guest star and everything's yeah, all in place. You're kind of, your mark. Yeah. I, I've done some stand-in work in the past and there is a sense where you're on the inside, but you're also kind of not part of what's going on because yeah. you're mostly there to for the world to pivot around, you know, for Mm -hmm. lighting, for sound, for all of the little elements to fall into place, color, texture, whatever. So it is a weird kind of sense where you really see the magic of the machine, uh, which is amazing. I, I, it was one of those experiences where even the producer was like, I'm so sorry. You had to stand there for like 10 day, 10 hours. And I'm like, no, this is great. I don't know if I want to do this every day. Yeah. I mean, the pay is not horrible, but it, I don't know if it's good enough to do it <laughs> 10 hours a day. day it in, is day a, out. it's a young person's job, as I like to say something for the kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, I'll second that. Um, before we sign off for today, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or, or ideas or questions or anything that kind of pop into your head? Um, I guess I'll just share the mantra that I kind of share with myself when things get a little, uh, I don't want to say overwhelming, but when I'm comparing myself with others Mm -hmm. is stay on your own mat and doing yoga. You're always in these classes, especially in LA. 
and everybody has like a <laughs> sick body and you're just like, okay, whatever. And there's some guy doing a headstand and the other guy goes from like crow to a headstand or whatever it is. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not why you're here. Stay on your own mat. You're here for your own practice. You're here to better yourself. And if you stay on your own mat and don't worry about everybody else, you're going to be much better for it. I love that. And I think, I think it's a great way to end. And it's also a great kind of uh, LA moment of <laughs> no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good looking you think you are, no matter how fit you think you are, there's someone always someone always better. better. <laughs> always. Always. So eh, let it go. Right. Exactly. Well, stay with me for just a minute. Thank you so okay. much for doing this. Um, just don't forget to leave a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. New episodes every Tuesday. And check us out on YouTube for short clips from each episode. Thank you. And until next time, remember, your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want.